You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to Accounted For. Today's interview is brought to you as part of my travel series from my time in Vancouver. Yes, rainy Vancouver. Um, Today's podcast guest is Bob Wang, the founder of Legacy Advantage and the BC region leader of Deloitte Control. Legacy Advantage was a bookkeeping company for small businesses in BC, so British Columbia, Canada, and it was acquired by Deloitte to become part of practically the main engine of control, which is a division in Deloitte. And so Bob, you know, it's no ordinary bookkeeper. In our conversation, we delve through Bob's background of growing up in the Czech Republic, uh, having moved there from China, his and his having his entrepreneurial father fleeing the Czech mafia to Vancouver, and how this upbringing really fostered a passion for helping small businesses in his accounting career at KPMG to later his own company, Legacy Advantage. Bob grew this company to about like $2 million in revenue within the first three years through a method, a method of really partnering up with the would-be competition and actually becoming partners and cooperating with them to grow together collectively. And he also created an organization built around common sense. And you will know what I mean when you go into this interview. But this was a really cool conversation. And before I let you off into the interview, just wanted to give a reminder to uh, please rate the podcast on iTunes. And if you liked it, please give it a five-star rate, five-star rating, <laughs> and also leave a review as well. That would really help out a lot. And if you do leave a review, I will give you a shout out in a future episode intro. And also, if you want to learn more about the podcast or more about the company itself that I'm trying to grow, please visit oldmandan.com. And there you can read about my weekly articles, my weekly newsletter, and also subscribe if you want to stay in contact with all the new developments. And so, yeah, without further ado, here is my conversation with Bob Wang. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Accounted For. Today on the podcast, I have with me Bob Wang. Hey, Bob. How's it going? Hey, glad to be here. Uh, Bob here is the founder of Legacy Advantage and is currently the BC regional leader of Deloitte Control. So Bob, for the audience members who do not know Legacy Advantage or may have heard of it but are not too familiar, what is Legacy Advantage? What does your company do? Yeah, Legacy Advantage, to put it simply, we do bookkeeping. That's it. Uh, We're a CPA firm that specializes only in bookkeeping. But I think our, our history and our journey is, is a bit more interesting than that. Um, I used to work at KPMG and uh, did a lot of you know, tax returns and year-end work and recognized that people have a hard time finding good quality bookkeepers, which made our work at year-end very difficult. And I saw it. And I thought, why, why can't people find the right solution here? And, uh, and so I started you know, as a CPA firm to, to provide solely uh, bookkeeping services at a professional level. Because of a te- cloud technology these days, we're able to provide it at a still a reasonable cost. And so, three years within three years, we grew it to about uh, twenty people and just under two million dollars. And that's you know very unique in, in an accounting firm in an accounting practice to grow at that scale. So, anyway, we're one of the leaders in the industry and, and Deloitte uh, at that time. 
wanted to get into the bookkeeping space and wanted to you know, find a, a regional leader in BC. So they uh, contacted us and asked if we want to work together. And after, I would say, almost 10 months of negotiation, we finally um, joined forces. And, and now we are controlled by Deloitte, uh, which is basically Deloitte's uh, bookkeeping arm of, of their entire business. Now, they call it a uh, cloud collaboration platform for small businesses. And I'm like, yes, you know, technically you're right, but people aren't going to remember that. People are going to remember one word, and, and that word is bookkeeping. So basically controlled by Deloitte for the most part, is is a bookkeeping service. Gotcha. And like, it's spelled C-T-R-L. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what? I think that's a really, really awesome brand. And I wish I thought of that before I started my business. I think super, in, you know, super smart con- control, you know, as in you're a controller. Basically, you're a, you're a bookkeeper for for a small business. So in that, you can interpret it that way, right? And control, as in the button on your, on your keyboard, because it's computerized, it's cloud-based, you know, it's control. And um, yeah, I, I'm sure there's a whole of a whole other you know different dynamics and ways you can interpret the brand. But I love it. It's it's a really fun brand that I wish I thought of, but they did. So <laughs> good good on Deloitte. <laughs> and so before I, d- I dive into um, the whole journey behind you know going from KPMG to actually building up your own accounting firm or specifically bookkeeping firm. Sure. I wanted to kind of take a step back and. I remember in our first conversation, you told me about how you lived in the Czech Republic for seven oh. years, and I was thinking that that's amazing. I, you know, um, for the audience who, who haven't gotten to meet Bob, but given his last name, you know, he is Asian by background, <laughs> and so, you know, I find like I've lived in Hong. I was born in Korea. I lived in Hong Kong, and I went to Vancouver, and I found a lot of people have similar routes of immigration, but mm-hmm. the Czech Republic, I think, is it's quite different. So um, yeah. Yeah, can you tell me about that? Like, how, why did your family move from China to the Czech Republic, and what was that transition like? I like I've had my own tra- transitional um, experiences from going from Korea to Hong Kong and not knowing Chinese nor English. Yeah. So yeah, can can you take me through your own transition? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a detour, and it's definitely what um, it's it's an interesting segment of my journey. But you know, I I take no credit for for that. Decision because really I was, I was just, t- just tagging along and riding the coattails of, of, of my dad, and I think that journey was one of the reasons why I, I wanted to call my business Legacy Advantage, because um, you know my my dad he he left uh, communist China which was alone a really incredible feat uh, back in you know, in the fifties or not fifties he was born in fifties anyway <laughs> uh, in the late nineties and and he went to Germany to study German and then he went to Czech Republic to start a business with his colleague. And he went through so much adversity. You know, believe it or not, he actually started his business in Czech Republic selling canned mushrooms and broccoli and totally failed because nobody apparently liked canned mushrooms. And so he pivoted and and, uh, went into selling clothes and specifically pajamas and eventually into basics such as, you know, polos and shirt, t-shirts and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he changed our family destiny, right? Because of him... Um, we have, I have a life that I have today, and that is his legacy, right? And because of him, we were able to immigrate into Canada. Now, that alone is a, is a story in itself, but basically the Czech people at that time were, were racist and jealous of my dad's success being a, you know, Asian guy in a, in a, in a Czech country. <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, he felt unsafe. You know, he was threatened by the mafia, and uh, and he felt unsafe, and, and he basically 
moved an entire family to the most multicultural city in the world. Um, and, you know, very, very thankful for that. And, you know, I, I didn't grow up uh, playing on playgrounds because I followed my parents around. My playground was boxes of clothing. You know, my playground was the warehouse where they stored all their containers of clothing. And I loved it, you know, jumping from box to box. I played hide and seek in the, in the demo room. I played video games on computer servers that hosted the same accounting information. That, that's just how I grew up. And I saw sacrifice that my parents went through. And, and therefore, and also I saw the, uh, the, the results and, and the fruit of their labor as well. So to an extent, you know, entrepreneurship was in my blood and and I would say I'm more of an entrepreneur and less of an accountant, but I wanted to go into accounting to understand the language of, 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 of accounting, of, of business. So, um, yeah, in terms of transition going from China to Czech Republic, you know, I went there with zero language. I remember I got into a lot of trouble in kindergarten because I didn't understand anything and people were, I think, talking about me or, or talking to each other without me and I, and I think I reacted in violence you know I pushed people and I hit people and that's kind of the way I could communicate as a as a young boy um, so that was that was difficult um, and then before coming to Canada I was sent to an English private school I was just, I was a British private school so I was learning British English as a as an Asian guy and then coming to Canada I was this you know guy who had a British accent and uh, you know all the kids made fun of me and so I eventually adopted the American English so that's kind of my transition into Canada it sounds exactly like my transition yeah yeah um, when I went to Hong Kong um, I went to a British oh, international school as well so I was <laughs> taught funny. by you know the British folks and so I had an accent yeah and had an English accent and in hindsight, I really wish I kept that. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was such a hot commodity here. Right. Um, but, you were yeah. just jealous. I know, yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, I come here and everyone talks about how, yeah, you speak weird or, <laughs> you know, um, at least the spelling was the same. But, yeah, like I, it, it, I think, it, yeah, when you're young, there is that kind of period of confusion and you do resort to violence at times. Like I remember... I was bullied by Chinese kids because I couldn't speak Chinese, and oh. so I bit one. <laughs> so I, I bit one, and the headmaster um, suspended me because he was like, "What are you, an animal?" And right. I, I couldn't even speak to him properly in English, yeah. so I was like, "All right, I don't know what to do," and I just yeah. knew I was in trouble. But yeah, here's a parenting tip, right? Just because your kids are acting up doesn't mean they're bad kids. They're just they're just learning how to communicate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, growing up in the Czech Republic and stuff, in, in I think North America, kids have. Or especially specifically in Canada, when you're young, you ask kids, you know, what's your dream job and stuff. They, I think a lot of kids say, I want to be an NHL player or <laughs> you know, police officer or sure. whatnot. But what, what was it like for you in, in the Czech Republic? Um, what kind of dream job did you have when you were growing up, like when you were seven, eight? Yeah, I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure that question was ever asked of me, you know, at seven or eight. So I don't know. It, I'm I'm really not sure. Yeah. What about you? Like your earliest memory? Did you have anything? I think to an extent we always want to, you know, be a doctor or a professor because that's what we know at that point in time. Mm. And I did have a, a cousin who was starting a successful business. So to an extent, I was like, oh, maybe I go into business with my mom and dad. I think that was always an option. And my dad has involved me and to, to some extent in, in the family business and I think he would have um, 
liked for me to continue his business, but also recognized that clothing and fashion became a very, you know, the landscape changed, right? The, there's way more competition. And, and so he was um, okay with me picking my own path, which I'm very, very thankful for, but that was always an option. Mm-hmm. And why was it, why did your parents pick Vancouver? Did you ever ask? Instead of like Toronto, which is closer to the Czech Republic. I think they came here because there was a larger Asian population. <laughs> Just like, just like my parents. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, there's a story to that too. You know, they came, they chose Vancouver. They, they chose Basie because of there's a larger Asian population. But we we actually landed in Coquitlam, and they had a choice to go to Richmond or Coquitlam, and they picked specifically Coquitlam. And I'm really thankful for for that because had we gone to Richmond, my English wouldn't be so good, and my social network would be primarily, you know, Asian Canadians. And you know, it's all good, it's all it's all great. But I feel like I'm more integrated into the current society because I was born in Coquitlam at a time where you know the Asian population wasn't as uh, prevalent. Before it was all Koreatown. <laughs> I don't want to say that, but yeah, you, yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, it's funny because I ended up in Richmond, and that's where I grew up. Yeah. So, um, and so, you know, you you said how you went to uh, you went to UBC, um, to the University of British Columbia, for the Eastern folks who don't know, um, and you went to go study accounting because it was the language of business. Was that something that you thought about earlier on um, when you were in like high school? You had already kind of set your mind on, okay, the, the business area is where I want to go and want to be, and yeah. I have to do accounting to do that. I think as a result of watching my parents' journey, I, I really wanted to go into business, but I didn't really have a vision of my life until third year of university after going through some some struggles. And I can talk about that in a bit as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I chose business because I, because I wanted to go. And then I think second year of university, I had a choice to either go into finance or accounting and I think I finally chose into to go into accounting because of that. You know, I wanted to understand the language of business. Okay. And so what was that, uh, in, that incident you mentioned? Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think the third year of, of university was a critical time for me because, you know, first and second year I went into university and I saw all these amazing peers who were, you know, student council leaders, who were club leaders and VP of this, VP of that. And I had nothing, no resume to going into university. And I just felt like I was really behind. And so I worked really, really hard in year one and two and did everything uh, as much as possible. And I really started to feel burnt out. And I think second year of, of university, I took on two leadership roles where I led two clubs. One I took over from someone, one I actually started. And and plus, I was doing a full course load of, of five classes. And and that was, with that kind of a workload, I felt like I failed uh, both leadership roles and did okay in my classes, but, you know, it was really letting people down that made me examine my life. And so um, I it was, that was the lowest point of, of university, and, and I started to ask myself, like, what is the purpose of life? What makes me happy what is it I want to do with my life you know I don't want to be a second-rate someone else I need to be the best me but who who am I who am I who do I want to become and so talking with a lot of mentors reading a lot of books uh, I basically created a mission statement for my life and that is to be a godly man who loves his family and help others achieve success and I think that was a really defining moment because I realized look all these companies that we learn in business school have a vision and a mission statement but very few individuals 
have mission statements. And I think that's very lacking in our society and lacking in our teaching. And if you're listening to this, I really highly encourage you to examine, you know, what does your look like? What does your life look like when you're, you know, 70, 80, 90, when you want to look back, what is it you want to have accomplished by that time? You know, start with the end in mind, right? And so knowing that by the time I want to finish my life, I want to lead, I want to have led a godly life that prioritized family and whatever I did, I want to I want to help others achieve success, whatever that version of success is. And so I wanted to use, uh, you know, business as, as, a, as a vehicle, as a tool to make that happen. Um, yeah, and so that's, that's when I came up with my mission statement, and that's guided me um, every step along the way. For example, you know, when I, when I came to the decision to whether or not to leave my job to start this business, I asked myself, okay, this is my vision statement. What's going to get me there uh, quicker? and in a more impactful way. You know, I could stay in this job, uh, and, you know, become a manager or whoever, and that's a, that's a good impact. But if I stepped out and solved this problem that people have a hard time finding good quality bookkeepers, if I make a change in the entire industry, that's a much bigger impact on the world and I can help a lot more people along the way and I can, you know, lead people and guide people to, to, to achieve success, whatever, um, you know, the success means to them. So yeah, my mission statement has guided me in in going, you know, uh, dealing with the dilemmas, um, answering questions, and it's really been a, a guiding post to, in my life. Mm-hmm. No, I think I you know, amen to that. I think um, having a mission statement is is highly underrated. And yeah, I think I think in the beginning when you're young, like at least for me, like when I hear that term, I kind of be like, oh, ooh, that's kind of like voodoo stuff. I'm, I don't, I don't really need that. But I think as I got older and I started reading more books and it just became more prevalent that, hey, look, you know, like all these successful people out there, they all seem to have something like that. So why, wouldn't, why shouldn't I have one? Yeah. I, think, I think we all should have one. And, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I think like even, even in like the book, like there's so many different ways people can think about it. Like I have a full separate journal of my own that's specifically for my evolving mission statements. Like every few months it continues to change. So I tweak a word here or two just to fit who I am now. And I think, I think it's like Stephen Covey's book, like the Seven Habits one, mm. where they, he he talks about how you can think about getting a mission statement by thinking about, um, I think it's you know when you die or if someone reads out your eulogy, what do you want them to say yeah. about you, or what do you want your gravestone to say about you? What yes, you, yeah, like who's gonna show up yes. to your funeral? Like that yes. kind of stuff, right? Like that yes. kind of visualizing the end in mind. Yes. Um, yeah, and so with, with with that kind of mission statement, like you, you know, it kind of acted as your own North Star and you went to KPMG to first, you know, get the trainings of an accountant and I guess for the background of the uh, listeners, cause, just because I'm familiar with this as well, being a KPMG auditor before, you went to the enterprise team and the yeah. enterprise team is more or less known to have smaller clients, very small businesses, private company services primarily. Was that an intentional thing? Did you specifically yeah. choose enterprises to have small businesses? I did, yeah. During recruiting uh, season, I, I specifically chased down and, and told you know the recruiters I want to join enterprise because I'm my passion is for small business, to be a small business, to help small businesses, um, and to learn about small business. So I really, really super thankful for the time there. Um, you know, I learned how to do taxes and small audits and reviews and NTR. Basically, I, I learned everything. You know, I had, I had a lot of breadth, let's put it that way. <laughs> I didn't go into depth in a lot of situations, but it gave me the training training that I needed to become the 
person I am today. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's actually, even when I think back um, for an accountant who's choosing, oh, what kind of clientele do I want to focus on? I think it was really sexy for people to be like, oh, I have a diamond company as my client or I have a big investment bank as my client. And so that, that was the route I took. I took the investment bank route. And so they were all my clients. But in hindsight, I and I talk, as I talk to more auditors, I, I think if I really want to learn how a business worked, how how crucial of a role accounting actually played, I think having that enterprise experience, like actually seeing small businesses would have been actually very beneficial. Yeah, you know, I think no, there's no route. There's no wrong route in, in life. It's just a route that you chose to take and you make the best of it. I'm thankful where I'm at and I have no regrets, but I'm sure, you know, had I gone into bigger audits, I, I put a, could have probably been a CFO somewhere at a bigger company and said the same thing, really thankful for my experience in, in large public company audits. Who knows? It's just, you know, where we ended up and and leverage the skill sets that, that we have. So I don't think there is a, a wrong route. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And so when you were in an enterprise, you, you talked about how you saw this problem, this bookkeeping problem you saw with your clients. When when did that kind of thought start transitioning from, hey, this is a problem, I see it, to could this be a company? Could I be the one to solve this? When did that transition happen? Uh... I'm not sure if there was a moment. I think it was just so much pain and frustration over years. Say, it just finally cracked. You know, can I be the one? Is there something? I, yeah, I, I can't point to a moment other than just this continual, you know, experience of of this is a problem. Why is why is it not improving year after year? You know, you see a customer. So you see a client and, and this person has, you know, let's say 15 journal entries. Next year, it's also 15 journal entries. Like, why can't you learn? You know, I, I give you these journal entries so that you don't make the same mistakes again next year because it's very simple mistakes. So why are you not improving? Can I do it for you? I'm like, oh, maybe I can do it for you, but you got to pay me. <laughs> That's great. You know, let's turn it into a business. Something like that. There was not a one, you know, aha moment for me. Mm-hmm. And so then how, how did you go about actually formulating the business, actually thinking about, okay, you know, this is going to be the name of the company. Um, this is the kind of clientele I'm going to have. How did you go about actually mapping it out and how long was that kind of process? Yeah, so the name actually is something that my wife came up with. And I think it just reflected back to my mission statement, you know, what kind of a impact I want to make on the world. And the word legacy came up. And, and, you know, I wanted to create a business where, you know, I'm proud of not only um, by the work that we produce, but I wanted to create an environment that I want to work in, right? Um, and so, you know, I, w- I want to create a business that can create a legacy for my staff in, in that, you know, I want to give them flexible hours and performance-oriented compensation so that they can plan their uh, work around their life as opposed to plan their life around their work. Right. So you can come in whenever you want. As long as the work is done, you can take care of your family. Right. Um, we, we want to create a business that can help our clients create legacies by providing good quality bookkeeping so that they have uh, visibility into their business so they can plan for the future. You know, that's our work. Right. And for myself, you know, I want to become a great leader by mentoring others, coaching others and making an impact on the world, hence leaving my own legacy. So my vision for this business has always been about impact and the legacy that we will leave. And the word legacy advantage just like, you know, because of, of that impact, because of that vision, because of, of our desire to make an impact, that's gonna be our advantage um, 
against our competition. That's you know the way we view the world. So that's kind of how the name came about. <clears throat> but in terms of designing the business, you know, it was more about creating a, a, an environment that um, I wanted to work at. So, you know, I wanted an environment that was flexible, that had, I could have autonomy. Because at the end of the day, you know, I really only care about that the work is done. I don't really care about how it's done, where it's done, or, or when it's done. Right. So we created a, a work environment to suit that. And I also created a compensation structure to reflect that. So most of the accounting firms and even bookkeeping firms at, at that time had a salary or hourly compensation model. Well, you know, that didn't really make sense to me because if you are paid hourly, your incentive is to take as much time as possible to do that one job. There's zero incentive for you to be efficient. Why would you, right? Same as salary, you're you're paid a salary 40 hours a week. Your incentive is to do as little as possible in 40 weeks. That's the financial incentive. So, you know, Whereas in my model, I pay people a base wage and a, and, a, and a basically commission that's dependent on the revenues that they service. And all of a sudden, the incentives change. Because as an employee, your incentives to do as much as possible in the short amount, short amount of time as possible because then you can take out more work or you can take time off, right? Both are wins. And all of a sudden, you don't have to spend as much time monitoring people because if you're paid hourly and, you know, and the customers pay fixed fee, then as a manager, I have to spend a lot of time managing those hours, and it's a very antagonistic relationship. You know, you have opposite incentives. Whereas in this case, in our model, where you're paid a percent of, based on a percentage of revenues, your incentive is similar, is, is aligned as mine. You know, if you take more time, you're actually earning less dollars per hour. So because I know that our incentives are aligned, I don't have to spend as much time managing hours because I trust that you know how this math works, right? And so, you know, that was the, the model not in addition to a whole other, you know, a, a lot of other things. But I, I would say those two are really, really key in, in, in our growth, in our model. And, you know, we had a lot of challenges hiring our staff because it's a very different compensation model. It's a very unique uh, way, to, way to compensation people, way to compensate people. But I really felt like we found the winners because... The winners see our model and they say, wow, this is amazing. I can finally get paid for what I produce. Like, this is so great, right? And the winners believe that they can earn um, however much they want. There's no there's no cap, right? If they want to make more money, they just take on an extra client. We have very, we, we almost had never had someone come up to me and ask for a raise. Even if they did, did come up to me and ask for a raise and I just said, hey, which, what other client do you want to take on? your raise should be related to the work you produce, right? It has, your productivity has nothing to do with tenure. Your productivity has to do with productivity, and that should be reflected in your compensation. So winners love that, and, you know, the people that thought this was too risky, that's okay. You know, there's someone else for you. There's someone, someone else, somewhere else that's a better fit for you. Yeah, I, I remember when I first heard it, I was thinking, this is so refreshing just because it just seems so common sense. Um, Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so common sense, but it's not really common. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's, they say common sense is uh, it's an oxymoron on its own because sense is not very common. Yeah. And I think, like, I remember I was looking up um, Glassdoor for Legacy Advantage and, you know, you guys have a 4.9 star rating with nine reviews. So you had 20 people. That's so close to, like, 50% of your staff actually rated it and they gave it really highly. And I think... It's like, it's like what you said about how when you create that kind of organizational structure, 
you will attract the people who mm-hmm. will win in that environment. And That's right. It'll deter away the people who wanted to just get a job to just kind of do the bare minimum and just kind of skimp out. Um, and I, as you were kind of, you know, building this out, like I'm sure like the early stages though, like what was it like, you know, determining, like what was the point when you decided, okay, now it's about time that I put that organizational structure into effect and hire my first employee. Mm. Um, what was it like getting the first clients to build into that? Yeah, so the, I, I didn't start off with any hourly employees. You know, I started with, empl- uh, with hiring an employee under this structure basically from day one. And because I, I you know, I, I kind of thought through that before, before I even started, that I want to create a business that had, you know, all these incentives that were, that were aligned. Now, you know, hiring your first employee, that's, that's a really, you know, tough question because I came, I, I had some help. You know, the summer I, I started, uh, my grandparents passed away, both of them passed away, and they left me with an inheritance. It was $70,000. You know, they saved their entire life in China. They, you know, put a lot of money into savings and, you know, they didn't invest it at all because they didn't trust the institution. So it was just savings and obviously inflation eat at that. But, you know, it was $70,000. not a lot of money, but it's a lot of money, right? It's enough to buy a car. It's enough to, to live on for a year or a year and a bit. So I thought, you know, my grandparents, they saved their entire life and, and gave me this money. What is their intent, right? Is the intent for me to go buy a car? Sure, you know, they'd be okay with that. But I think the intent of an inheritance is to help give you a leg up, a hand up. Right. An advantage. An advantage. And so a legacy advantage. <laughs> and, and so and I thought, like, look, why don't we just invest $70,000 as my basically year of, of wage and and take that, you know, an extra portion and invest into the business and hire my employee uh, on day one. So I actually hired someone on day one. I never worked by myself um, at, ever. And and part of that is because look, I can spend my time doing the work, which is great, or I can spend time, my time growing the business. And my vision for Legacy Advantage was always build it to a great, big business and not stay as a small business. So to me, growth was more important than profitability, right? And you ha- you need you need to make that trade off. You can't be profitable and think that you're going to grow at a really quick pace. You know, there's always a trade off. And and I took you know I I decided to offer growth than profitability. I'm not saying this is the right choice, but it's the choice that I made. And so I hired someone from day one, and, and you know what? I, I operate from a place of scarcity, <laughs> and I thrive from a place of scarcity. So because I hired this person, I was forced to go get clients, a lot of clients right away to pay for that, right? And so, and I love, I love that pressure. If I was too comfortable, I was bored. And so as soon as I got enough clients to pay for this second employee, I had, I had a decision. Oh, sorry, as soon as, as soon as I had money, enough money to pay for the first employee, I had a decision. Do I hire a second employee or do I pay myself a good wage? And I thought, hmm, I have enough money to live on for the next year. Let's go for the second employee, you know? And because I hired the second employee, I, I was again put in a position of scarcity and I had to hustle, hustle, hustle to... Um, get enough business for the for the next employee, and that's kind of how I kept pushing myself by putting myself in a position that I could not back down. No, that, that's a 
I love that um, scarcity mindset. And, 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 I, and I think it's not the best mindset, but yeah. that's just you know that's it's a, it's an environment that I thrive in. Yeah, right. And, and I think um, you know some people might view it negatively, but I think scarcity could actually be your advantage. Like with limited resources, you can be actually much more creative. Like um, I think there's numerous uh, research papers that actually talk about how creativity tends to bud out from having a bit of a box around you. If you have too much empty space, can't really work anything out right but if you have a bit of a constraint it can actually help you yeah be really creative and actually get the hustle going L- less is more yeah and on another note you know how i got clients you know a lot of accounting firms they they begin by doing everything you know they're, they're a full service firm but legacy advantage we, we are a cp we were a cpa firm but we only did bookkeeping services now that was huge in our lead gen process because i basically went to all the accountants in town, not all of them, a lot of them. And I said, look, you like doing taxes, you don't like doing bookkeeping. I like doing bookkeeping, I don't like doing taxes. Let's work together, right? So, and here's the thing, if you did taxes, if I did taxes at that time, you know, the thousand CPAs that are in in Vancouver, they're my competitors. If I didn't do taxes and I only did bookkeeping, then everyone became my referral partner, my, my, my colleague, right, my strategic partner. So. In that moment, you know, less is more, right? Um, and you have to put restrictions on yourself to be more creative and to grow uh, more, quicker. Mm-hmm. And how did that kind of happen while you're running your business? Or did you know, did you kind of determine ahead of time that, okay, we're going to only look at bookkeeping because look at what all the other guys are doing out there. Yeah. We can work with them and yeah. actually be cooperative instead of competing. Yeah, I started off just by doing that with that, you know, that, uh, that intent that mm-hmm. I want to work with others and not compete with there's also other benefits. For example, you know, focus and specialization. It's almost impossible to be a specialist in bookkeeping and be a specialist in tax. Like it's just impossible. Especially as a small business, we don't have the resources to hire and train and continually upgrade our tax skills, right? And so I almost felt like I was doing my, our clients a disservice by by providing tax services, especially when we're not good at it. And so you know, in that way, uh, it was a it was a win win. In, in a sense. And for our staff, you know, we want to make sure that um, they become better and better at their, at their craft and not be distracted by tax returns that really happen only once a year. Right. And as you, as you, you know, progress and grow this business over this like three year period, um, was, was there like a moment or like a period where just shit just wasn't going right and you started questioning, is this going to last? Can I... Can I do this? Is yeah. There, is there going to be a next year? Honestly, that's been almost every day of my journey. Every day, something went wrong and that doubt came in. Um, Elon Musk said somewhere that entrepreneurship is like eating glass and pretending you like it. I, I totally felt that. You know, um, you know, it's employee quitting oh my gosh, we have so much work, where's it gonna go? Like, this is, you know, this sucks. Or, you know, we just acquired a business in Surrey because we wanna grow in that direction. It came with three employees and like all three quit in one month. Well, heck, you know, that's like 150 clients that nobody knows anything about that we have to go through. So like, oh my gosh, like, and we just paid so much money for this, you know, for this business. What did you buy? <laughs> we, you know, we bought a book of business, right? Yeah. And what did I buy? Yeah, and 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 so that was a crisis, and 
And then like a month later, when all three quit, uh, three other people told me, including my senior manager at the time, like, yeah, they, they're, they're all leaving, you know, you know, within a month, three months and six months. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this sucks so much, right? So man, is, 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 you know, clients complaining, um, you know, website going down. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, a rough journey, uh, you know, uh, every step along the way, but, but I loved it, you know, looking back on it, I thought, you know, every single problem, every single, uh, hurdle that we overcame, that was a, a blessing in disguise because that made me a stronger leader, you know, gave me more experience. So I, I, I loved every bit of it, but would I do it again? If I had to, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't ask for it, but, uh, it is what it is. And I, and I, I wouldn't trade it for anything else. And so then if I, if you had to do it again, would you do anything differently? Were there any big mistakes you wish that, that you could do it again? Be like, okay, I know I made that big mistake. I will not do that again. No, no, no. I, I felt like I did my best along the way. I would have, you know, learned, I would have read more books and learned more about, for example, I would have learned more about change management. Uh, I felt like the transition from legacy advantage to control was a bit rough and it could be managed better if I had I known more. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't. And now I know. Now, <laughs> next time I do something like that, I'm much better prepared. Um, yeah, so, you know, every mistake, every problem was just a lesson that I needed to learn. And I'm thankful for that. And as we, as we go um, into that, the control part, where right. now, uh, you know, you've sold your business. How, what was that like in comparison to the end vision that you started off with? Like you probably had a vision of, okay, you said you went to go to this really quickly. Yeah. So you had this end vision for Legacy Advantage. How does this, I guess, uh, divestiture to yeah. Deloitte work? So my vision for Legacy Advantage was to become the global brand that people can recognize and associate with the word bookkeeping. So, you know, let's put it this way. When I say, you know, who's, who's the best auditor? Well, you think about the big four, right? Who is the best uh, tax accountant? Well, you know, you think about um, the big four <laughs> or, you know, H&R Block on the lower end or, you know, your local tax accountant. But if someone says, hey, who's the best? Well, who's, who's the most well-known bookkeeper? There's, there's no brand anywhere in the world. You know, there's no brand that dominates that space. And I thought, let's, why not make, make Legacy Advantage the name that people can associate with the word bookkeeping globally, right? So my vision is to grow across Canada, down to the States, you know, into every English-speaking country in the world, Australia, uh, UK, right? So that's my vision. I'm more about impact than, than anything else. And so, you know, three years into, into our business, you know, we're just under $2 million in sales. And I just felt that uh, we didn't have the resources to take it to the next level. You know, we wanted to grow into Calgary and uh, I failed because I didn't have enough overhead space to hire a leader to help our expansion there. Were you so, constantly just going back and forth? During I was going time? back and forth and it was not sustainable. I was not enjoying it. I was not enjoying it. I felt I was getting more, uh, what do you call it, um, resentful, almost, feeling resentment. So I needed to find someone to, to lead it, but I, but I couldn't. So anyway, we got it to a point where, you know, this deal was on the table and I thought, you know, my desire is to make an impact. My desire is to build a brand that people can recognize and associate with the word bookkeeping. We want to own the word bookkeeping. 
right? So, you know, my vision and my desire and my passion just sh- really shifted from making legacy, legacy advantage the brand into control the brand. And so, you know, my vision and for, for BC is that we, need to, we want to control to be the most dominant and most recognizable brand in bookkeeping for all over BC. And did that kind of click with you when Deloitte like approached you guys and said, "Hey, do you want to partner up? Do you want to be acquired?" Like, was like a light bulb moment. You thought, "Yeah, could this be the way I go?" You know, when they first approached me, I was very, very skeptical because I thought "Ah, they're a big company; they have all these, you know, rules and bureaucracy, and it's never going to work. You know, I talked about the variable compensation model; that's never going to work in a big company like that. And 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 so we started talking. And I said, look, I have a few non-negotiables, you know, A, B, C. And part of it, one of them was this variable composition model. So if you don't, you can't make that work, it's all good. You know, let's keep, you know, doing our own thing, right? And after many months of internal discussion, the national leaders thought, why not? Let's experiment with it. It makes logical sense. It's common sense. It's just difficult to administer. And it's maybe, you know, difficult politically because not everyone's going to be paid the same. And so they they said, well, let's give it a let's give it a shot. Let's start talking, and and you know we just kept the conversation going, and and you know I was really starting to see that they were they had a strong desire to change and adapt their processes to be innovative and 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 really you know dominate the market. Like they were willing to change, and that's that was super encouraging for me because I didn't want to go into an organization. And just do what's been told. I want to go into it to bring what we have, the lessons that we learned, but continually to innovate. And I really felt that Deloitte was willing to do that, especially in this you know small emerging business unit called Control. And you know, on my end, what an incredible opportunity! You know, how how many times in in your life do you have a chance to step into a large, large organization like like that, and be a senior leader in a in a region, and basically build a whole division like that's just an incredible opportunity right not to mention influence the national way of operating so um, for me it was a great opportunity for my team members as well you know they now are part of a bigger organization like this and if they want to you know become a cfo or a controller or as you know uh, or a consultant or a tax specialist they can so i think overall is a huge win-win for for everyone involved and i thought look i can still achieve my goal to be the most recognizable brand in bookkeeping, I can, you know, my my team will win, I will win, my clients will win because they can have all these extra resources and, and you know people that they can service them now. Like it's a win-win. The only thing I need to give up is the legacy advantage name, and so in in my case, impact was more important than ego, and, and so we we went ahead and did it. Hmm. And and this motivation that you constantly have this mission statement. How- do you have some kind of system that you have to continue to check in with that to make sure? Yeah. And what is that like? Yeah, it, you you said it. It's the check in is is, it, you know, sell or not sell. Which step will will move me, you know, closer to my lifelong lifelong mission lifelong mission of creating the most impact and helping the most people. And the answer was to join up with Control. Therefore, we did it. Hmm. I, I listened to a very interesting TED talk and this philosopher was talking about dilemmas, like what is a dilemma and how do you make difficult choices? And her point 
was that it's a dilemma for a reason. A dilemma means you have two choices that are equally good. That's why it's called dilemma. Therefore, if you pick one or the other, you're not going to be better off. Because if it was clearly better off, if A was clearly better than B, then, then you wouldn't have dilemma. Then you just go with A, right? And so, so if you're faced with a dilemma, you just like, got to pick one and, and just live with the fact that you did your best in that moment um, and go with it. And so in my case, I had a dilemma. You know, do I stay um, you know, by myself or do I make a, make a change? And so I, I went with that because they were equally good options, but I felt like this was better or maybe clearer, maybe not better. <laughs> um, so I just went with that, right? And so far, so good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's in line with like this, um, this decision-making principles where I remember who says it. It's, it's another podcast I listened to, but it was just on, along the lines of people are so obsessed with making the right decision, like A or B, but it's not so much that, but how do you create an environment where all the options you have are just great yeah and so whatever you pick it won't be that bad exactly yeah yeah it's not you know which university should i pick but it's more do i even have the options to go to <laughs> multiple universities to begin with yeah if they're equally as good you just got to make a choice you know don't be paralyzed by it mm-hmm. and so as we kind of wrap up to the end of the interview um some kind of ending questions i'd like to ask the guests um one of them is if your 20 year old self were to see you right now, so twenty year old Bob from in UBC, like probably third year, <laughs> looking at you. Yeah. What do you think the emotional reaction would be from that twenty year old Bob? Huh. Reaction from a twenty year old Bob to see me now. I think I think he'd be pretty happy. Yeah. Um, I think he would have had bigger goals for me, but. You know, looking back, there's nothing I could have done differently. I had worked my tail off, and um, I think it'd have been good. And if you could give that 20 year old Bob any advice, any advice, yeah, what would you have given him? Yeah, read more for sure, watch less TV, <laughs> um, Yeah, I would say read more, read more books, read more diverse books, not just about business, but but maybe humanity, history. Um, and yeah, believe in yourself. You know, don't uh, don't look at others and what success means to other people, but you know, define what success means to you and continue following your own path. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And for people who listened to this and think man, I want to work with control. How can, uh, do they have an opportunity? Are you guys hiring? Um, yeah. How can they find you? Oh man, we're looking for two to three people right now as we speak. And I think that's going to be the case for, for a long, long time because we have very ambitious goals for control. Uh, we want, I personally want to, want to make this division uh, double every year. And I think we can do that, but we want to make sure that we have the right people on board. Uh, you can always hit me up on LinkedIn and I can connect you with the right recruiter, but, uh, you can Google control C T R L Deloitte and go to the um, talent and hiring section. I'm sure there's some postings there. But yeah, you know, you can always feel free to reach out to me, send me a resume, and I'll pass it along. Excellent. All right. Thanks for your time, Bob. I really appreciate your so time much. and really enjoy this chat. Yeah. Take care. Bye.
So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way. And included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.